Welcome to Life in the Making, a podcast that explores the journey of friendship and self-discovery. We're your hosts, Kia and Therese. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. Today's episode, we'll be talking about our college experience. And in our most recent episode, which was our first episode, we sort of touched upon our experiences as friends throughout college and even post-grad. So getting to connect and rebuild our friendship even after we graduated. But we thought that it would be a great idea to sort of dedicate a specific episode on just talking about our college experiences, particularly our social life. So my name is Therese. I'm your co-host. And I am Kia, the other co-host. Kia and I attended Pitzer College and we were there for four years and graduated in 2019. I majored in economics and Kia, what did you major in again? So I was a double major in English world literature as well as organizational studies. Low-key, I almost forgot what I even majored in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I just I just feel like it's not as relevant anymore you know I right. feel like when it was when we were in undergrad it's like I always had to tell everyone all the time I'm like okay I'm a double major in English world literature and organizational studies and it was always a mouth load and I feel like mm-hmm. now it's just like I I graduated okay <laughs> what's next where's like just give me the job. <laughs> <laughs> I know every time there, there was like a meeting at a club or when we were in class, I felt like I always needed to prepare my intro, right? It's like, okay, <laughs> boom, I'm Therese. I'm a major in economics. I'm from Honolulu, Hawaii, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so it's different now, right? When we're out of college, we're actually expected to just share like what we, what our occupation is, right? It's no yeah. longer much about what we majored in or what we studied in college. It's like, what do you do? And I think that could be, that's like another point of conversation <laughs> I think we could talk about because I feel like so much of society, right, really um, puts pressure on like what roles or titles do we have when mm-hmm. when really like that doesn't necessarily matter. It's like the work that we do. But um, yes, so you were a double major and I majored in economics, but I really wanted to minor in English, although it never really got to happen because I think I explored too many classes, too many different fields as electives and actually ended up needing to fulfill my major requirements my last year, which so fun, (laughs) especially your science class. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I yeah, it's I'm glad that we only got to take one science class as a a requirement. Mm -hmm. But I pushed that all the way to my last semester of senior year which definitely was not not as fun it's okay it's not my forte yeah as long as you know you didn't think you were going to be pre-med and decide to take (laughs) science classes just for fun right um and and then realize that you don't you no longer want to be a doctor and then you know just have two c's your first semester of college barely passing to be honest i had a lot of low-grade notices for both my science classes because i didn't do so hot on any of the exams so yeah I'm just I'm just glad that we both passed our science classes and no longer have to deal with it (laughs) (laughs) for now we'll be spending some time just talking about our social life some of the things that we were involved in while we were at Pitzer um, some clubs we were also involved in throughout the Claremont Colleges uh, point of background so we attended Pitzer College which is a part of a Claremont consortium so we have four other schools that are under this what they call now is Claremont University 
so we attended one of the sister schools, Pitzer, which was the last college to be built um, out of the five C's. I'm like thinking of like, I'm like trying not to bring in my tour guide, um, <laughs> yeah. like all the facts in right? Yeah, like- all the facts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because there is this piece of history that I always love to talk about. Do Just it, like do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so there were five schools within the Claremont Consortium and Pomona was the first school to be built. It was actually built to mock the Ivy Leagues on the East Coast. So they wanted their own Ivy League on the West. If you ever get a chance to visit Pomona College in Claremont, California, you'll notice that there are a lot of street signs that are named after Ivy League schools, like literally Princeton Avenue, Harvard Avenue, Yale Avenue. So it's really interesting. And then the second school that was built was actually Scripps College, which was founded during the women's movement and Scripps College is the only all-women's school within the Claremont Consortium. But it's interesting because the architecture of their campus is really beautiful. It's sort of like a Spanish villa, but it's completely unique compared to Pomona, let alone the other schools. And then the third school that was founded was Claremont McKenna, which was built during the GI Bill. And so So Claremont McKenna is actually fairly known for their public policy, economics, their government fields. And what's interesting is that if you visit their campus, you'll notice that a lot of their dorms actually look like military barracks. And that's at the time when the GI Bill was sort of enacted. And then the fourth school that was founded was Harvey Mudd, which was built during the space race, which is interesting uh, because they're mainly known for their science. And then you have Pitzer College, which was built in 1963 founded during the civil rights era and their core values are on like social justice, environmental sustainability, student engagement, social responsibility, and intercultural understanding. So the community at Pitzer was really unique in the sense that a lot of the students that we ended up finding ourselves to be around were or had a lot of interest in social justice in the community. That's a bit of background about Pitzer, and um, hopefully it provides a sort of context for the Claremont Consortium and then diving into our experiences having been there for four years. I guess tell Therese works for the missions. (laughs) (laughs) Also, did did that all by memory, you guys. Like there was no script at all. Like (laughs) if you guys can tell, she is the you know main recruiter for Pitzer. Pitzer, if you're listening to this, you need to be like funding this podcast if you haven't already. (laughs) Totally. Um, Also, take everything that I say with a grain of salt, Um, (laughs) as I'm not an official ambassador for Pitzer anymore. Um, But but yeah, I guess we can first start off with talking about orientation. Mm-hmm. So orientation was for first year students um, who were able to sort of build a community, get to know Pitzer, um, get to know their other peers before our first set of classes, before the first semester. Kia, what was your orientation experience like for you? Yeah, definitely. So even before we went on these OA trips, right? These orientation adventure. I remember like just being at home in Milwaukee, like signing up for them. And I was actually like really confused on what the like um, process was, like for orientation in general, right? For like our seminars, how to sign up for them, what orientation adventure in general is, just because I was really late in the game when it came to Pitzer. Um, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go to Pitzer. But you know, that being said, of course, I did attend Pitzer. And so that being said, when I first saw the list of OA trips, I was like, of course, I'm going to pick LA Food and Art 
culture right because it's like okay like I want to eat good food and just like explore LA because it's a new city um so I was really excited that I got LA food and art culture which was of course once again my number one OA trip and so I think I had a really great time exploring what L- what LA had to offer especially all the food we got to try out and all those different places and museums we got to see however I feel like I had a difficult time conversing and making small talk with the people in my group right Um, because I was actually but you know now that I think about it I was actually really fine with that that didn't bother me because I when I knew I was going to attend Pitzer I wanted to have a clean slate I had this realization that I don't need to just make the first few people that I meet my friends just because, you know, I was lonely or afraid that this was actually going to be an opportunity for me to find true friends and find who I am and find who I am. Um, And so the really interesting thing was one of my greatest friends in college, actually, Eddie, he was in this OA trip with me, but we didn't become friends then. And so I think that taught me to see it, see it as we crossed paths, but it wasn't the time to develop our friendship yet. So that being said, I think I had a really great time with OA. However, I think that was just for me to solidify that I made the that I made a good decision with the location of the college, not really with the people. So that's my experience with my OA trip. I know I didn't really go in depth with what we did, what we ate, but I think. I think that's like less memorable than what I took away from it, which is, you know, that I love this location. I love the sunny weather. I love the different opportunities I can have. And it's okay for me to not have made great friends, right? The very first few weeks. Yeah. What about you, Therese? Because I know you also did LA food and art culture, but not the same team as I was. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, I think that was super intentional. I think that it was so meaningful how you felt like you got to take away a lot of what you wanted to solidify and really affirm and validate that like, this is the place like that I was correct, right, that I was right in choosing California, because I know at the time when you're applying for colleges, right, like you had wanted to stay closer to home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to go so far away uh, to the West Coast was like a huge decision. And I, I think that was really incredible that you were able to sort of look at this away trip as as a way to serve that um, the affirmation. Mm-hmm. For me, I would say I looked at wanting to go to LA Food and Art because I had always wanted to explore LA. When I was younger, I actually thought that California was a lot closer than I th- like I so I'm from the island of Oahu, um, not the closest island to the mainland to the continent, but the big island is the closest island. And I used to think that, oh, maybe in the big island, like you could see like the skyscrapers <laughs> of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then when I first flew out there, it just it was like five hours on a plane. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally wrong. Um, for me, I've always just wanted to explore the city and be able to finally get to visit the sites that I've always seen on TV, you know, and like do anything related to celebrities. Cause at the time I was just super, you know, entertainment news and all that celebrity type of um, atmosphere. And so I think for me to be able to visit LA was just an an opportunity that I had always wanted. I I think that my OA experience was definitely interesting because for me, like I'm pretty much an introvert and I, it's, not as easy for me to make a lot of friends in a huge group. I also felt like there was just so much for me to learn about like being in the continent, you know, like learning different types of humor, jokes that would pass around that were very sarcastic about like some of the people we met. And I was just like, huh, it was just like a tiny thing. 
But I kind of wanted to touch upon what you're saying. Um, you mentioned that you felt like you could start off with a blank slate. And it reminded me of this time when before flying out to Pitzer, I had caught up with like a mentor of mine. And she was saying like, Teresa, like, you can start off with a blank slate, aka you don't need to tell people where you came from. You don't need to explain that you're first gen. You don't need to show it. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, not, not to say that you should like cover it up, Therese, but she was basically encouraging me to not really out myself in a way or like explain or like even make it known that like this is the community that I grew up in a community of struggle of upbringing yeah and it really confused me at the time you know so that just that took me back to that moment when you mentioned that and I'm curious if you've ever found any like dissonance with the idea of starting off with a blank slate but also knowing or thinking maybe there are things about your identity that you couldn't really share yeah I think that's such a good segue like I wanted to actually talk about like my identity as a first gen because you know that that is a club or you know organization at Pitzer that like I was heavily involved with and so I guess my very first memory of first gen is actually when Teresa which she's my first gen mentor um, knocked on my door with my roommate and I we were just like chilling in the room and Teresa so she was outside my dorm room and so we decided to have the conversation out there because I opened the door and so she was you know just introducing herself to me and inviting me to like these first first year events and just you know trying to welcome me to the pizza community and so when we finished talking and I came back inside the room my first year roommate she asked me who came to visit and um, I said no one um, and because I was genuinely embarrassed to tell her that I was first gen you know just because there's to me being a first gen especially being a first year had this like stigma right the stigma that uh, we needed this constant support we don't really understand what college is about and that we are low income and so I think I didn't want to like what you said out myself or expose myself to my first year roommate especially since you know it was just really new we're just getting to know each other and I have to really explain myself and I definitely felt that way with a lot of people that I met in the very first few weeks of college that we were so different you know and I didn't feel comfortable like letting them know that yeah I'm from Milwaukee Milwaukee's like you know I use this as a joke but Milwaukee's you know, surprisingly number one for something. And it's the number one most segregated city, um, you know, in the United States. Um, and hot, like it beat, it beat Chicago, right? And so I know that's a joke and, I, and I'm just trying to play it off. However, I think a lot of times when I, in my first year, I didn't feel comfortable really explaining or telling people who I was. So like when you said, it was a clean slate. However, I don't want to not be true to myself. And so that's why, once again, going back to my OA experience, I didn't just want to become friends. Or, or make these people my friends just because they were the first people that I met. And so I think a lot of the people that I became really close friends with, they were first gen or they're my mentees, you know, who, who confided in me about their struggles and I related and I, you know, helped mentor them. And then all of a sudden we just became friends, right? And that, that label never didn't exist anymore. And so I definitely agree and understand what you mean by clean slate. However, I think, especially in high school, I think it was really easy for us to put on this facade right that oh like we come from this kind of household and I think in college it's a lot easier to do that and so I didn't want to lose myself and be a part of a crowd that that I knew I couldn't tell them about my family problems or have to be like oh yeah like of course I can afford this when I know I couldn't 
So yeah, thank you for in a sense segueing through there. So I, as you said, like your teacher said that to you, um, how did you take that or utilize that or maybe not utilize that clean slate in college? As someone who's also first gen, it really made me think about how a lot of the friendships that I've considered to be very meaningful and very deep and not shallow were friendships that allowed me to be myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it was really hard to find that especially first year of college and like you know I came from a small community in Hawaii and it's interesting because like when I tell people that I'm from Hawaii I say automatically assume a lot of things that like you know I can afford to to go to this institution that Mm -hmm. I you know came from a very wealthy background that I have a a house near the beach (laughs) all of that is false and then you know how to swim (laughs) oh my god yeah fun yeah I always say a fun fact I'm from Hawaii but actually don't know how to swim but I grew up in a small community in Hawaii that was fairly known for being probably one of the most underserved cities um, on the island and I grew up in a housing project like nearly my entire life and just grew up knowing that not many things I could afford and let alone did I even think that I could go to college so when I went to Pittsburgh and when I met so many people who pretty much were very affluent. They could afford a lot of things. They could afford to buy a bunch of stuff um, for their dorm, you know? And like, I think for me, just this idea of a blank slate was really confusing because I felt like so much of my identity and so much of what really brought me to Pitzer and especially with like the scholarships that I was applying for, I really, I, I told my story and I, I used that as a way for me to inspire not only myself, but like other people within my community to also achieve the same thing or something very similar, you know, that they can do things that um, are not expected of their socioeconomic status. And I kind of pushed it aside, that term of a blank slate. And I think that I had wanted to find people that I know could relate to me, but also were so willing enough to have conversations with me in learning about my own identity and in learning about um, the struggles that I faced that I was too embarrassed or too too shy to share with others. I think it also didn't really help that I, I never really got to meet as many of the people that um, have now become like so much of my closest friends um, early on, like at Pitzer. And so living in the dorms was one thing that I think was definitely difficult to wrap myself around also because I grew up in a community in Hawaii that was like predominantly Filipino. And you know, I remember like, I think it was probably the the first week that I was there. I had looked at myself in the mirror. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm I'm very different, mm-hmm. not only at Pitzer, but in Claremont, you know, like, I rarely interacted with someone who was white, you know, I didn't have any white friends back in Hawaii just because there weren't so many to like meet with, you know, in high school because the high school I went to was predominantly like Polynesian and Filipino. And so I just felt like I was so out of place and it questioned whether or not I was really meant to be there because if the people around me didn't, um, if the people around me weren't similar to me, you know, didn't really look like me, then who's to think that I could even relate to them? I just automatically assumed like, okay, then I won't be able to find as many friends here. So that first semester particularly was really rough. 
So I don't know if they answered the question, but I, I, you know, I didn't really think much of it, but another comment was made um, from that same person who started to notice that like the people that I was recording in my Snapchat when I was going to parties or when I was going to, um, you know, going, having a meal with other people, this person said, oh, so it seems like you haven't been making a lot of white friends. Like, where's, where's a lot of your white friends? And I was like Yikes. thinking to myself, should I have only been limiting my my group of friends to people of color? Mm-hmm. Should I be like, am I expected to have white friends because I'm on the mainland? Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, who's to say what types of people I should be and should not be interacting with? Mm-hmm. Um, after meeting with my professor mm-hmm. who shared with me that her partner was first gen and she had basically reassured me and was like, hey, even though I'm not necessarily a first gen myself, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. And, you know, we can always have meetings. We could do things, but just know that I'm a resource for you. And so Mm -hmm. I think when I, ever since that conversation, that first few weeks at Pitzer, I started to realize, you know what? I don't have to be afraid or shy to share my own identity because it honestly made me who I am Mm -hmm. and allowed me to forge really strong connections with people. Yeah, definitely. No, I I agree with you. And I think as we reflect on both our experiences as first years, I think the main thing is really focusing on who is deserving of knowing the true you, right? And so I think our interpretations of clean slate is very different, right? Because for me, my clean slate meant, you know, finding true friends, right? And then being able to um, identify as well as connect with them in a genuine way, you know? And for your teacher who told you about clean slate, it's like, yeah, you could actually become whoever you want to be. But I think that's a really interesting way of interpreting when you begin college, right? When you move away from home. And so that being said, I think I think I, I really c- connect with what you said about finding people, like when you found people who look like you, so then they had to understand your background right um and so i think that really connected to you know my my experience when i joined apac um teresa and i we talked about it our first episode when we became friends once again apac is a club um asian pacific american coalition and so that's how I connected what I thought would connect me to Pitzer's um, social life by, in a sense, finding people who look like me. Because, you know, as as a Hmong person, I can, you know, when, when someone looks at me, they can be like, oh, yeah, you're, you're Chinese or you're Japanese or, you know, Korean even. And so I think with me going to that club for comfort, I think that was very naive, right? Because I thought that because these people look like me, they would, in a sense, understand my background or, in a sense, where I came from. And then I I was very wrong. And so that's why, in essence, for me, I had to look in different parts of my identity, right? Because a lot of times when we think of our identity, we first think of race or, or ethnicity, because that's how people view us, right? That's the very first thing they really notice. And then so I had to, in a sense, socially, right, go, go back and reflect on who I was more than just my race or my ethnicity, because very similar to you, Therese, I grew up in a predominantly Hmong community. Um, and so I feel as though you know, I never had to really explain who I was and where I came from. And they just always assume that I'm Hmong, right? And, and we just connected in different ways. However, I feel like at Pitzer, I felt like I always had to explain who I was, my background. And so that's why I think with both of us, we both channeled and found comfort in very different clubs and organizations socially. So yeah. 
This is what I really, really appreciate about you, Kia, is that you really understand me <laughs> and you articulate, you know, things so well, especially connecting our experiences together. And you know what's so interesting is this idea of culture shock, which I also wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about, you know, what was culture shock like for you having been from a, pre- a predominantly Hmong community all the way to Pitzer? And I think you've already shared that. Um, but I, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I don't know if I told you, but so every year with APAC, we would have a cultural showcase showing different foods from different cultures and different countries. And I had baked this bibinka, which is like this Filipino dessert. It's kind of like, um, sort of like mochi. It's pretty sticky, but I had accidentally burned a batch. So, but then thankfully I made two. So, <laughs> of, um, course. I, <laughs> of course, I was so excited to tell people like, hey, this is bibinka. It's like a Filipino dessert. You know, a lot of my friends know it back home. And I was just talking about the Philippines. And literally someone was like, oh, like, what's the Philippines? Yikes. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, you not knowing what the Philippines is, is like not knowing who I am. Like, not, yeah. well, I mean, he didn't really know who I was, but it's, it's like, it's like. <laughs> he's bothered today. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so, it was, it was so unfathomable because I was like, I grew up. And, you know, an environment where almost all of us were Filipino and like, for you to not know that is like not knowing my existence, not knowing the existence of my people, of my neighborhood, you know, the true existence, right? Not like the actual like, hey, we live in Hawaii, like my identity, but um, it's very interesting, you know, the different types of people we come to experience and encounter in college and it's meant to have us bring about new perspectives about different places in the world, but you know, to have experienced that was, uh, it was just so disheartening. But yeah, this, this culture shock, I feel like is something, I don't know, do you think that you continue to experience it throughout your four years? Or did you feel like, was it reoccurring? Or was it mainly during that first year when you were, you know, when we were still trying to transition into life in California, life at Pitzer? You know, I can always relate to, you know, you, you just explain like, what well, you don't know where the Philippines is or like where it, where it is, because I feel like that's like the root of my existence, to be honest with like my ethnicity, right? Because I feel like every single time mm-hmm. someone asks me like, oh, like what kind of Asian are you? You know, like, oh, so you're Asian, but like, okay, like, are you Chinese, Korean, you know, and every single time I say that Hmong, I always have to give the spiel, right, of like, oh, yes, we are an indigenous group from China, and then, you know, we ha- we migrated to um, Laos, help with the Vietnam War, you know, and that's how we were able to, in a sense, gain access to the United States. That was just very tiring to me, you know, because throughout my whole life, I'd never had to always explain, like, my ethnicity to people, and so I think when I came to Pitzer, I found comfort that like, oh, maybe like I don't have to explain myself to this group of people. And then I realized that I still had to. And if anything, I felt more marginalized because it's like, sure, I'm under this Asian umbrella, but like I'm, you know, I'm by myself. I'm the only Hmong person here. And I think that was why I seeked different outlet for community because I realized that like this, like I'm not ready and educate these people at this time because I don't know myself, right? I don't, I, I can't always answer all these questions. And I think that's what had me in a sense channel and geared towards like being RA, right? Or OA or first gen because as as I look more on so of like my compass, right? So my compass of like what 
what I used to, in a sense, I guess, like rationally, I guess, see myself, right? I, I'm more of like an emotional person, right? And so, so sometimes when people ask me like, oh, like, can you explain more? Or do you have the questions? Or do, do you have the answers to this? I'm like, no, because then that means like, I don't know who I am. And so I think that's why I never wanted to explain because I didn't know much myself, you know? And so I knew what it meant to be first gen because I live it every single day. And there is no one correct answer. There's no one way of, of, of your experience as being a first year. That's why I love leading away an RA like, okay, it's a handbook, like, <laughs> like all the answers are there. And so I think that's why I didn't really go back to and explore my ethnicity until I applied to the Margot Ray Fellowship, where I I was able to, in a sense, create a zine about my experience as a Hmong woman in Milwaukee and how there is a disparity, right, between um, opportunities when it comes to like Hmong women and men and how, in a sense, me coming to college was so rare and that I'm not mm-hmm. just like an Asian person, a model minority, because I'm not, I, I'm not into that, I'm not a part of that statistic at all. And so, yeah, I, I think this is a new and very profound idea that you actually just had me unpack to be honest, Therese, because I, I think I was so much in denial that I didn't have the answer to a lot of these people's questions. That's why I didn't think this club or this organization fit well with me, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I think it was just more of like, I wasn't able to unpack it with myself. So thank you, Therese. Yay, that was kind of cool. Ooh. Wow, that was very, that, that really resonated with me, Kia. Thank you so much for sharing this and just speaking your voice. And because these are stories that people rarely hear about, you know, they don't know the types of struggles and emotions that you're feeling as someone who is Hmong in America, where not many people are very familiar with the history and the background. And I feel like even more frustrating the fact that you feel like people are tokenizing you in some way, right? Where they like expect you to know. But then it's like, why do I have to explain myself to you? I, it's not my job to teach you, you know, (laughs) like I'm just here as I'm just here existing, you know, in this space, in this world. And if you want to learn about the history, like don't, don't expect me to give you all the answers, right? It's like you should learn on it on your own. And so this idea of being someone who is a minority in the country Mm -hmm. where majority of the people in the U.S. are white and don't necessarily understand the experiences of what it's like being first gen Mm -hmm. American um, or being Hmong I don't know that's interesting though do you like do you can when you when you identify yourself to people do you say Hmong American usually or do you say Hmong I think I always just say Hmong because like to say Hmong American that hyphenation it's like okay yes I, I don't think I have to explain that I'm an American to you, you know, but I feel like it's the idea that I have to explain that I am Hmong to mm. you, you know, and to be honest, it's so strange because now that I think about it, I feel like it was just mostly undergrad that I felt like I had to explain my my ethnicity because now I am a teacher um, and I work for, uh, for a community that's mostly Latinx. I feel so like I never have to explain my background to them or I never had to say like, oh yeah, everyone, I'm Hmong and blah, blah, blah. You know, Hmong people are an indigenous group from China. Like, I feel like I never have to explain that part of me, but it's so strange that for a college, I had to. I think just because a lot of times we have these shallow relationships, right, with people that sometimes only see us first for the color of our skin rather than for what we have to offer. So that's why I just feel as though when it comes to now for my profession, I 
I think it's more like I'm more focused on the content, like what the lessons are going to be. How can I cater and be the best teacher that I can for my students rather than like, oh yeah, I'm trying to get to know them based on race or like what else they have to offer me because that's not the point here. But I think for college, I think that's just a good starting point, especially for our first year, right? Like asking like, oh yeah, like what's your ethnicity? And it's like, oh, okay, like where are the Hmong people? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about how it's usually in college where we have these specific experiences relating to our identity where we're being asked to share or we're being asked to identify what our race or ethnicity is, as opposed to in the workplace, right, where it's like, you know, what matters to the company or to the organization is what value do you have, right? Or like, what work do you produce? And it's less so of like getting to really know you. But in that case, then I'm like, what spaces can we create even outside of college where we can still promote this cultural awareness or understanding without having to put people on the spot, without having to tokenize their own experiences or themselves? And not to say that everything should only be learned in college and not to say that these experiences of, of being questioned, like who we are, um, what what's our identity, should only happen in college it just I I think that I wonder if there is a space for continuous learning and growth with I mean also by recognizing how problematic it can be in some ways to only refer to someone for all the information and the knowledge to be shared if that makes sense but I appreciate I appreciate your insight on that and you know this I the reason why I ask Hmong versus Hmong American. And I'm coming to realize that it's a very different phrase, right? Compared to if I were saying, I'm, if I'm questioning whether or not I should be using Filipina versus Filipino American, the experiences are very different. So mm-hmm. when you said like, I don't need to explain like me being Hmong, I just need to explain, I'm explaining me being Hmong, that really hit me. Cause I'm like, yes, no, that that is very true. And that's what's lacking <laughs> in so many people's understanding, right? Mm-hmm of what it means to be um, someone who's not what what this country has shaped as a mold of what it means to be quote-unquote American Mm -hmm. right Um, and that that was sort of the question I had wanted to to sort of bring up is like what does it mean to be this like American as like a person of color but then again that's a totally different different topic that we can touch upon but but yeah so I think when it comes to our experiences in college you know we have this sort of level of exploration in our identity. And I think you sort of brought this up earlier, but you felt like your identity as first gen, having your socioeconomic status were identities that maybe you felt more connected to, as opposed to your identity as um, someone who is a quote unquote Asian, right? Like that umbrella term. Yeah. And yeah, I'm curious, did you figure that out? Like, did you realize that those were identities you felt more connected to after having these experiences with people? Or did you already have that sense of value and priority even before coming into college? I think that's a really thoughtful question that you just asked. I think it would, I think it's always difficult when you're the only one in that community, right? Or the only one all the time. So I think my answer is not as fleshed out as I want it to be. But I think it's just that for me, because I came from a community that was predominantly Hmong, I think I never had to focus that I was Hmong. 
you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have to talk or tell anyone that I was Hmong. And like, sure, we did like, you know, we watched Hmong movies, listen to Hmong songs, but that was just always expected. And so when I was within these communities, I feel so having these open conversations about being first gen, low socioeconomic status, like that was easy, you know? And so that's why I recognize that throughout my whole life, I never, you know, it, it's easy to identify yourself like what we said with people who look like us however when I did do that I recognized there was nothing in common if that makes sense like just because I was a part of APAC it was like okay like the idea of like why am I here what is my purpose here and I realized I didn't have a purpose there not not until later when I was able to develop myself my purpose and the reason why I was involved with first gen or OA or being RAs because I had a purpose. Uh, for first gen, I was embarrassed, right? I was embarrassed being first gen, and I soon recognized that I my purpose is to destigmatize what being a first gen is, and to you know help students who may not have the proper you know or didn't have enough support to support them. And through, through the process of college. And I knew that was my purpose. And that's what I like to do. And so I think it's more like just understanding that my passion has never been my ethnicity, if that makes sense. My passion mm. came from different identities that was marginalized or didn't have the opportunities, if that makes sense. And, and sorry if I didn't answer your question, but I, I think it, it just it clicked for me that my purpose wasn't to work on my ethnicity because it will always be there. It's never changing. And I didn't have anyone to support or to kind of like find a community with, right? Because there's no other Hmong person. Maybe if there's another Hmong person, we can listen to Hmong music and do all that fun stuff. But then it was like, that's just finding a friend who can relate to my to, mm. to the same community I came from. It wasn't like I, I had a purpose. Ooh, yeah, when you said that because you felt like your ethnicity will always be there, never changing, mm-hmm. that you know really hit me. You know, given your experience where you've always felt like you were the only Hmong person, right? For most of the time, that's how you felt when you were outside of Milwaukee, right? Outside of your yeah. community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can definitely see how it is a very different approach for you in terms of figuring out where, which space you felt like you wanted to be in, which spaces you felt like you were most welcomed into. So I think that is a layer of experience that is not often told. And I'm so glad that you were able to create that zine, which I still have with me. Like I brought it with me to Salt Lake and it was just incredible, you know, for me to see you, your, your, um, was it senior year or was it junior year? Um, it was your last year. Mm-hmm. your last year, right? Like mm-hmm. having wrapped up your experience with the zine that you were able to present to other people and say, yeah. hey, like this is my community, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. It was very meaningful. And also I should probably note that Kia was our graduation speaker for the <laughs> Asian Pacific Islander graduation ceremony because we had different ceremonies depending on different groups that we were involved in. And so Kia actually talked about her experience. And I remember my dad, he was like tearing up while you were Aww. while you were talking. And and when you were like when you introduce yourself, you're like, you're Hmong, but no, I'm not Mongolian. Mm-hmm. You know? And my my dad, he was like, 
he he felt bad because he he had initially thought that Hmong meant Mongolian because he had he had never been familiar with the ethnicity and so he like teared up a bit and he was just he was so proud of Yukia also <laughs> he still calls you adopted daughter as well as my mom yes um but but yes <laughs> Oh, that's really sweet. And thank you for bringing that up. I actually forgot all about senior year and like the speeches and everything. But I think I had to take time the first, you know, two, I, I would say two and a half years of my college experience to find different parts of me first and different communities that I identify and want to be part of to come back, right? Because I didn't just forget my APAC or like my Hmong ethnicity. It was like, I needed to first develop who I am before I can really answer like, oh yeah, like this is what it means to be Hmong, right? And because I, I didn't know, I, 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 you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So I, I didn't want to pretend mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, like we're an indigenous group and like start throwing out facts because facts that I don't know, wasn't familiar and sure who I was first, right? So I knew I was confident in like being a first gen because, you know, that's all it was my whole life. That's the struggle of, you know, coming to college and, you know, away, you know, it was a tough year. So it's just really fresh. Right. And like being Hmong, like, I mean, yeah, that's a part of my whole life, but I never had to explore it. So I think, you know, having that speech and having that confidence to not to correct your dad. Right. Because I definitely don't remember him, you know, having that um, thought process, but I think it's just make being sure of myself and letting people know that it's okay, right? It's okay. It's okay to, you know, have to educate people sometimes, but it's okay if you don't want to, right? And if, and if you don't want to make your race or your ethnicity, um, the core of who you are, you know, Mm. and and I think that's what I really wanted to hone in that, that it's okay when people mistake you. um, And it's okay when you don't want to explain yourself, because that's not just who you are. I'm not just Hmong, right? I'm also first gen. I'm also a first year student who struggled really badly. And you know, so yeah. Yeah, like you're more than your race, you're more than your ethnicity, you are a compilation of all the successes, the unique qualities, the quirks that you have. And, And I really, I really like that point, because your your yeah your whole identity doesn't have to be solely dependent on one aspect of yourself. You know, people don't have to necessarily educate themselves, mm-hmm. but if they're your friends and if they're people um, in your life that care about you, I would I would think that they would make the effort in doing so. Yeah. Transitioning now from talking about our values, our identity, how was it like making friends in your first year? <laughs> <laughs> great question so of course I think the best way to start is roommates right because that's where we all started with our very first so-called friend and so that being said first year my first year was actually the only year during my four years of college that I had a roommate the rest of the years I had a sweet I had sweet mates right so Therese was one of my sweet mates my senior year but yeah so mostly I lived alone because I was an RA or or I was a mentor so that allowed me to have my own room but that being said my first uh, my first year roommate we are actually very different in regards of our background and hobbies so she grew up in Ojai California and she's an only child and of course I grew up in Milwaukee Wisconsin and I have four sisters two stepsisters one half sister two brothers and one stepbrother right so okay if you guys are doing the math that is 11 of us and including my parents there that's uh, 13 of us so yes really big family compared to just an only child and so even though I have I have a lot of siblings, um, I'm very thankful for that. You know, they've 
come to shape my perspective and upbringing. But that being said, my roommate and I, we have varying differences in regards to privacy uh, share, and sharing things. Um, however, we still made it work because at the end of the day, at the end of the, our first year, right, especially the fall semester, we, you know, that was like us just trying to adjust to one another, especially her trying to adjust to having someone in the room with her, right, because she, once again, only child, never really had a roommate. And then at the end of our first year during the spring semester, um, just really solidifying our next plans, right? And so I told her that my passion was to, in a sense, become a mentor. And I think that just really solidified our growth, right, as roommates of like, okay, like, since uh, we are no longer going to, you know, live together, we still want to stay in contact. And so I think during our first year, we lived together, but I wouldn't necessarily say we were like, really good friends, right? I think our friendship really blossomed after we didn't live live with each other just because I think we were able to appreciate the different aspects right that we kind of like overlooked when we lived together but that being said I I I would say that a lot of times people think that your roommate's going to be your first friend right and that friendship's going to last forever but it doesn't right don't ever assume that because then you're trying to force something that might not happen and I think I was very careful on doing that because I was just like okay like I know she's my roommate however she doesn't have to be my friend and so she plays sports and so I never I I try not to in a sense I guess like I try to make our schedules work right like whenever we got meals we got meals but it wasn't like we had to do everything together. And I think that's what really helped shape our friendship afterwards because we were able to appreciate and respect our boundaries and our timelines, especially since I was pre-med my first semester. So I didn't have time at all to get meals, but yeah. (laughs) I think that is very interesting because the idea, the expectation that your roommate would be your best friend, would be the person you would have a meal with all the time you join all the same clubs like that was something that I actually saw in a couple of of our peers at Pitzer in our first year and I had adopted the similar expectation that like you know my roommate would be this like person for me um, because it seemed like other people were having that as well and so when I so before I moved in I had actually already communicated with my roommate Crystal And she is originally from Beijing and we were just communicating, saying how we were excited to be each other's roommates and we were just getting to know each other. So that was really nice. And when I first moved in, she actually already moved in a few days prior to me. So she was already set up with everything while I was still gathering and, you know, trying to figure out what I needed to get, how I was going to decorate, you know, my dorm room. And I wasn't really concerned with the the idea of boundaries at the time like I didn't really think much about the idea of like living with another person and having to set all these rules and I remember just wanting to spend some time with her and we were able to have meals and we were able to catch up and I, I think it what was nice was we had our own schedules um during you know throughout college actually she and I lived with, with each other for about three and a half years two of which we were directly roommates and our third year, so that first semester before I went abroad, we both lived in a single room, but we were sweet mates. So in a way we still were living with each other 
And I think what was nice was I had someone who also felt very similarly about college in the sense that like we wanted to have a social life, right? We wanted to be able to meet other people. But I felt like for most of my experiences in the beginning, I actually relied on APAC to be that source of community and have a network of peers to really do all these things with by going to all these events together off campus and I would invite her to join as well but she hadn't really expressed a lot of interest in doing so and she also had her own group as well so we were still good friends and we were able to live with each other really well I got to learn a lot through her about her culture and getting to learn some of her language but yeah we never really had meals as often but sometimes when we would um, it would be nice you know to to get to know each other and such I think that making friends in the first year like someone had told me initially that the people you make friends with that first year are not necessarily going to be your friends forever that it is quite common to see those friends that friendship sort of detaching as you go on to your sophomore year and then junior year and I don't know why I think it might be because the more we start to explore other spaces, the more we realize like who we really are and what our interests really do lie in, right? And I think we open up to so many more people that we don't have to be limited to the people that were sort of structured for us. Mm -hmm. Also, what was interesting with the housing situation at Pitzer is that in your first year, like everyone has to stay and live on campus, but you would fill out a questionnaire And technically, like theoretically, they would pair you up with someone who had similar responses, had a similar mindset Mm -hmm. in hopes of pairing you with someone who you would be more compatible with. Some of the questions would be like, you know, what time do you like to sleep? Are you like a clean person? And they would ask random questions like in front of you was a three by three square foot box. What is inside, you know, type of questions. And so I had thought like okay this person who's going to be my roommate would be the most compatible because I would assume that that's why they're giving us this questionnaire to fill out Mm -hmm. but I don't think it was the case for many people (laughs) (laughs) but it was was a nice a nice attempt you know but I I honestly I did get to enjoy my experience living with Crystal and we were able to go out together and I got to meet new people through her But I also know that we were fairly different in the sense of like what our backgrounds were. So for me, like I never had many things um, in my dorm room. And I remember just sometimes feeling like I never had enough, you know, because I felt like I never had enough clothes. I never had enough like food to bring with me. Um, But it didn't it wasn't like a huge defining factor of our friendship which I'm glad, but was just a, you know, like the, the compatibility will not always be perfect. So yeah. kind of just wanted to, to mention that there, that there were still differences between us, but it didn't get in the way of, of our friendship. But definitely, um, I think when we were, yeah, I think just along the years, we got to learn more about each other. And yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting how you and Crystal, you guys continue to be, you know, roommates, right? And how that friendship blossomed right as you guys continue to live live with each other but I think with my first year roommate and I Sophia right um even though we only lived with each other for one year our, our friendship blossomed even more when we were apart right because I I love mm. Sophia and her parents um like for example every Thanksgiving or even just any holiday or spring break or winter break they always offer me their homes in a sense every Thanksgiving I was in a sense always invited and I went there I think like three years 
three Thanksgiving in, um, in a row. But I, I think it's just really interesting how how you and Krista were in essence able to make your work right as as friends as well as roommates and I think also it's important to note that you both had different friends outside of of each other so that allowed um, that space and to, but yet to come home to one another at the end of the day yeah yeah and I remember like gatherings that we would have and she would invite her friends and so our birthdays were pretty much close to each other and so sometimes we would like celebrate together Mm -hmm. um like do a conjoined like birthday party and it was just really nice to get to meet more people and I don't know just like I I learned so much from her and I got to explore um you know different types of of cultures and like different people through her network and through her group so I think it's rare, right, to like find people who continuously live with the same person, like yeah. for most of their time at Pitzer, because that was the case essentially <laughs> with with Crystal and I. And I think we just found it to be easier and more comfortable, like living with each other. And thankfully, we had fairly decent amount of numbers. Actually, I didn't have the best one; she had better ones um, that got us to live in in a dorm and in a hall, like a suite that we had liked as our first choice. But I think this idea of friendships in her first year, definitely, they're, they're sometimes fleeting, right? Like, and I think before, like, clicks were so big, at least that's how I saw it the first few weeks. And I always, you know, I never really had a click. Like, I never really had a group. And every time oh. I would enter the, di- <laughs> and every time, every time I would enter the dining hall, like, it was just so common to see people, like, gathering in, like, the circle tables and, um people had already their group to go with for every meal and mm-hmm. I remember it being so like I remember being so self-conscious many times and feeling so lonely and I'm like yeah. wow like I'm I just feel like I'm the only one that doesn't have a person to have a meal with even though that really wasn't the case mm-hmm. but it just felt like that you know entering the dining hall and like seeing so many people and knowing that like I'd have to find a seat I'd have to find a table mm-hmm. and like hopefully find one see that isn't next to a group or yeah (laughs) yeah no I definitely agree with you I remember my first year especially my fall semester like if I wasn't getting meals with my first year roommate like I was just getting meals alone and I remember always like just video calling my sister you know so it's like I'm talking the phone I'm actually like busy already so like yeah it's okay if I don't have any friends yeah and, and and I just and I just really want to be thankful for my family for always being there, especially my sister. Like I could always just call her and then, like just talk to her while I'm eating. So then I don't have to green box. And so green box is like um, this sustainable like Tupperware that we can like bring food in and out. So, you know, and, and I also green box a lot too. So I think my first my first um, semester, sure, yes, I lived on Atherton. So that was the, the fourth floor of Atherton. So that made it really difficult for me to make friends. But yes, I was also pre-med. And also, I just didn't want to make these like superficial friendships. And so I think those are so many factors that like caused me to, in a sense, not be able to like have friendships really quickly. But I think like now that we look back at like our junior and senior year, you know, whenever we walk into like any dining hall, yeah. especially Pitzer, it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, hugs and like, oh yeah, like, you know, catching up. Yeah. And it's so crazy, right? Because it's like, oh, our first year, like we're eating alone. I was just like video calling my sister. And then now it's like, wow, like our growth and like the people we've got to know and like make friends and like these bonds and relationships with it's so crazy yeah and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it is it is a positive memory to think about you know during those last two years where we were almost we we're ha- over halfway of our college experience mm-hmm. and to know that like 
I don't have to worry about feeling like I'm the only person there because mm-hmm. I know other people in this dining hall. Like I can say hi to them. Sometimes they'll invite me to sit with them, you know, but I think I also got really comfortable along the way knowing that it was fine to be by myself. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need to be in a clique or in a group to feel like I've I've had the best social life, mm-hmm. you know? Like I think I sort of realized that I am more introverted than I thought I was, but then that's totally okay. And I, there were moments like in the mornings when sometimes I would have breakfast and I just liked being by myself and I got to really embrace it and also saw other people sitting by themselves. So, um, but the whole idea, you know, the whole experience of like meeting someone in the dining hall and like saying hi and just like giving them a hug, making friendly banter. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was definitely nice to, to remember um, especially, you know, in this time where we're not really able to do that very same thing, especially for, for students now, like in college. It's nice to like reminisce about friendships, like especially with other people throughout college. Like how was it like getting to make friends that are from Pomona, Harvey Mudd, Scripps or CMC? You know, or Claremont uh, McKenna? If I, <laughs> if I was to be honest, like if I was to reflect on like all of the people that I've become really close with, it's kind of like the idea that you can make friends anywhere. You can make friends anywhere mm-hmm. if you guys are compatible. So, for example, Jorge and Jackie, they both go to Pomona. And we actually went to a party. I'm pretty sure it's sponsored by Block once again. And so we, I, I think Therese, we like went to use the bathroom. And then like yes. Jackie and Jorge, both of them were just standing outside the bathroom. And I don't remember how the conversation even went, but then like we were just started talking. And then like Jorge, of course, bubbly, big personality. And we were just like throwing banter. And then we all of a sudden became really good friends. Like, see, and I think that's like the craziest thing because sometimes when we think about making friends in college, we think of like the very conventional ways, right? Oh, for example, having classes with them or perhaps doing the same clubs and, and, and organizations. However, I think for me, a lot of my friendships came from very unconventional ways. <laughs> and, and I think it's just like, if we connect, then we connect, right? And then just like making sure to keep up and like fostering this friendship with them, even though we don't go to the same college, right? Like making sure we get meals together, making sure that inviting them to our awesome lit parties. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think for me, that's how I think I made a lot of friends throughout the five C's and also, right, like friends and then like going to parties and like just, at least that's for me. What about you, Therese? I remember the that moment when we first met them, but I was waiting outside Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, like, oh, he's taking a while. I hope everything's good. And next thing I see you all laughing, and I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. That's why she's gone for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I love that you formed a lot of really good friendships through these very unconventional ways. Mm-hmm. I think it also shows how much of a social butterfly you are. Actually, <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're someone who's very easy to get along with. Like that's just how I perceive you, and mm-hmm. you are so good at making banter um, and like getting to talk to people. You have like such a way with words. And I think for me, a lot of the friendships that I made outside of Pitzer were mainly through those conventional ways, which were, you know, being a part of these clubs, like meeting people through my classes outside of Pitzer. 
but it led me to think about are these friendships like were these friendships just contextual was it because we had studied together and like that was it that was our our only time being friends and quite honestly like that was the case like we would mainly communicate like that one semester we had class and then if we were still involved in the same group then you know we would continue to to engage and, and connect but now that I look back on the friendships after we've graduated it's only now that I'm reaching out to some of those friends that I've come to realize like yeah most of that friendship was contextual but that I still had fun like I still enjoyed it and I still got to make memories with them and and that's okay because not everyone you're friends with will always be there for you like not every friend will continue to put out the same level of like commitment and investment because that's why we have super close friends right just to I remember when when we were talking we so we had Sean as our (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you guys have given our audience a little bit more context of who Sean is we should (laughs) yes (laughs) just bring up Sean we it's so it's funny because I had started using Monsoor counseling which is a resource for all the Claremont students to um, seek therapy for counseling and I had wanted to try out Monsoor because every year we had like eight free sessions, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, either like either four or eight sessions. I think it was every year, but I decided to take advantage of it. And then Sean at the time was the only Asian American counselor, like therapist at Monsoor. Mm-hmm. So I made an appointment with him and I ended up really getting to enjoy these sessions with him. And it was the first time that I ever sought out therapy. Coincidentally, Kia also <laughs> went to Sean. And quite frankly, many people who were Asian American, like who were who were APIDA identifying students, mm-hmm. had gone to Sean at the time. And so I remember when I was struggling with some uh, with some of the friendships throughout college and this was particularly in the moment of Kia and I's um, hiccup I was talking to Sean about this idea of like friendship and like how much energy I should put into all the friends in my life and he was mentioning I should look at it and I should look at friendships in buckets so that I could have different types of buckets that reserved for different types of energy Mm-hmm. And I like to think that, you know, with all the friends that I've made in college, I can pinpoint certain friends that were in like the close friend bucket that I could like, invest so much of my time in. And then like acquaintances, you know, I think people that I had gone to know through classes, but never really got to build like a good relationship, put them in like the bucket of like acquaintances. And before I sort of had that mindset, I would give all my energy to so many people, regardless of, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of like what I classify them to be. But yeah, so I think friendships like that kind of works out in the way of, of college. And I think in life where we get to choose how much energy we want to put into a friendship. And depending on if they're reciprocating, right, like we can do the same. So it's interesting to think about friendships outside of Pitzer because they could either be from parties or through classes or through clubs. And I think for me, I mainly got to to develop those types of friendships in those structured spaces. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Therese. Also, like going off of like buckets, you also have friends for different things. Like I think 
something that I had a really difficult time during my senior year, whenever I had parties or whenever I had like an event was who to invite, right? Because it's like, I wanted to invite everyone, but I know that not everyone's going to get along because I have friends for different things. So for example, I have friends that whenever we go out, I invite people that I might just want to talk about my family or like, um, issues that I'm going through. I have different friends for that. I have different friends for studying, right? And talking about um, academics with. And so I, I think I had a difficult time really separating them my senior year, or like I had to learn how to separate them. So then I don't always feel like I'm just catering towards all these different groups all the time. And I think that also helps me with my attachment issues, right? As we graduated, because and, and really contextualizing and understanding that, okay, like these friends, you know, even though we had a really great time, it's okay. It's okay if, if um, we disconnect because the reason why we became friends and what was holding our friendship together was, for example, like partying, right? So whenever there was parties, they only showed up, which is okay. So therefore, like moving on past, you know, graduation, it's okay, right? If there's no parties to attend and, you know, we kind of fall out, that's what happens. And that's what I'm okay with. And also, like what you said, really contextualizing who to give your time to, especially now that we are busy professionals. Um, we kind of have to, you know, divvy up our time and who we need to invest in, right? Of course, invest in ourselves first and who else, you know? So, yeah. So what you're saying, Kia, is that you have your own VIP list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And no worries, you are on top, Teresa. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't sweat it. <laughs> um, I think it's so interesting. Like, that is such a good point, right? About how we you know, friends can be friends for different types of things. Like I used to think that, okay, this idea of a best friend, right? Mm -hmm. Like I thought a best friend had to be like your person. Like they had to be everything kind of like a, I mean, how I used to see like a romantic partner was like, they had to be everything for a best friend. I thought they needed to only have me as a best friend. And so I kind of strayed away from the idea of a best friend long ago, all the way back in elementary. Um, but I've come to realize, you know, like what you said, that we have friends for different aspects of our life. Like if I wanted to talk about something like related to my family, like I could go to you, you know, and like, but I know that the types of conversations I have with other people, it's not as close, right? So I don't feel as comfortable talking about family, um, but I can definitely go to them for advice on um, work-related, career-related things and this journey that I'm going on and so what's really nice is we have different pockets of friends that I think is great to have and what I'm trying to work on is continuously investing a good amount of energy in each of them and not neglecting one or the other but um, no, that is not to say I have like so many friends but I, I think what is yes, nice so popular trees <laughs> do you find yourself leaning towards just closer tight-knit group of friends yeah you know I think whenever I look back on my on our college experience I would agree right I feel like I knew a lot of people through various formats right however I think I would always stick with like just, you know, having close knit of friends. And I think I feel like I've established that really well. However, once again, I feel like I had a really close knit of friends for different things. So for example, like academics, like I have a really close knit friend, right? So for example, Sujay, Sujay, like he was like my academic friend. Like we always talk about classes and then our goals. Um, and then I don't know for like going out and partying. 
starting, right? It's like Jorge, Jackie, you know, of course you're included and like just, and, and then like for like personally, then it's like, you know, you and like, it's just a few others. And then like for boys, right? Like just like you, Aaron, Socorro and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I feel as though like, even though I knew a lot of people and like, sure, like saying hi or like just making jokes at the dining hall or like, you know, going to classes, it's like, I know them, right? Like I know them by name and I know that sure, like we, we get along, but that doesn't mean like I would ever tell them or like talk to them or hang out with them on my own free time, you know, because I knew they, no offense, but like, they're not deserving of that. You know, sure, like we can see each other, say hi, but it's like I I I know who my day ones are, right? I know who are who's in my VIP list. So it's like I would rather use my time to to foster these relationships rather than like to foster all these like very shallow and not genuine relationships. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think that um I feel like I've always just been drawn to a tighter close-knit group of friends just because I've always felt like I value a lot of really meaningful relationships and conversations. I am not one for small talk. I totally try to stray away from it and I really like having deep conversations with people but honestly like now that I think about it most of my friends were also people that I met in APAC that I had considered like my peer mentors as well Mm. and sometimes I always wondered like should there be boundaries between me being a mentee and then me being a friend? Can you be both? Mm. Like, I kind of struggled with that a little bit, but quite honestly, like most of my really good friends were from APAC, were people above me. So they were a year above me, like Kim, Jen, like Brandon, you know, and it just, when I come to realize like what I really value in friendship is someone who's there to hold space for me. And I don't think it's quite common for me to find so many people who are willing to do the same but because of that like initial peer mentor structure that eventually led into friendship that allowed me to feel like I can call them a friend that I can build this bond with them and I like try to do that also for people I consider my mentees what it means to be a mentor is not always the same as being a friend but just something that I've been been thinking about because I I really value mentorship on the mentor side and as someone who is a mentee but when I think of like my closest friend obviously it's you Kia like when I think about especially in the college sense (laughs) Um, you're at the top of my VIP list but yeah that being said um, I think Teresa and I I think we can both really agree that we both have learned a lot from our experiences from our first year and, and, and through our college right about what friendship means and what it means to make friends and so that being said Therese and I were going to end off this episode with sharing a memorable experience um, from our college years. Um, and so one of my most memorable experience was actually from my first year, fall semester. And so I actually befriended this person named Maddie. And so she plays water polo. And honestly, to this day, I've never gone to a water polo game. However, of course, and I also never really seen it on tv right and so she told me she was like oh yes kia um i'm going to be going to pregame tonight and with my water polo teammates and i was like yay awesome i'm so excited because you know once again i don't know what water polo is i'm so excited for her to invite me to practice game right because of course pregame right that means before a game so that tells me that they're practicing for 
a water polo game. So I was like, yes, excited. I don't remember what my outfit was that day, but I'm pretty sure I was thinking like, okay, like I remember the pools outside, so I might have to wear something, you know, to to keep myself warm. So I probably wore a sweater or something like that. Of course, we go to, I think it was in Pomona. So we go to one of the Pomona dorms and I was like a little confused, you know, like, oh, like I guess they're going to go to this dorm first to get ready, you know, and then we're going to go to the pool. Like, I don't know. We'll see. And then we go in there and of course, there's there's uh, music there's a lot of people and there's alcohol and I was just like hold up like I don't know how these athletes train but shouldn't you like not drink and like I don't know be doing all this before you guys train but whatever so I was just like you know she she offered me a drink and I was like sure um and I was kind of like disappointed a little bit I was like when like when are we going to the pool for this pregame and then like I asked her, I was like, hey, Maddie, so like, when are we going to the pool? You know, water polo, like all that fun stuff. And she's like, oh, this is the pregame. And then I realized, wow, like, I, I'm so naive. I'm, I'm, I'm like such a noob. Like, I really thought that like this, like I was actually going to get a chance to go watch a water polo game. And to this day, once again, to this day, I've never gone like to see a water polo game. I think maybe this has traumatized me, <laughs> but I don't know. But that's, you know, I think that's like, in a sense, my rite of passage to um, the party scene in colleges. But that being said, guys, a pregame in college means drinking before going out, okay? So it's not a practice or a training. So that being said, once again, one of my goals on my bucket list is to go watch a water polo game. But Yes, that was obviously the very first time I've ever been invited to the pregame, but I had a moment of realization, let's just say that. (laughs) I think along the lines of sort of like alcohol and not to say that this is a big part of um, our friendship or like our life at Pitzer, (laughs) but um, I want to share a memorable experience in my first year, first semester, and my first encounter with, with alcohol. So a friend had invited me to just set up a party gathering. It was like a small gathering just with friends. And at the time, like, you know, I really wanted to meet new people. So I thought, okay, like, I'll come and join. But I just went by myself. Um, My roommate hadn't tagged along. And so I went. And it was really cool. We like sat around in a circle. And we just like started to introduce each other and like talk, you know, just about each other's lives and then talk about OA. And then all of a sudden, they were passing around this whiskey flask, taking a swig, you know, just like taking a sip. And I was like, is that what I think it is? <laughs> like, um, but I I really panicked didn't think that I would already have such a quick encounter with alcohol when it finally came to my turn I like just stared at the the flask and I was like oh I, I think I need to grab something let, let me go get a cup let me just go get a cup from my room um because I don't really feel comfortable like drinking with the flask I ran out of there went to my roommate and I was like crystal I can't go back. So I'm just going to say that like, you know, something's wrong. I need to attend to my roommate and I can't go back. And I just like dipped. And I think for me, like, I I find that really memorable because I had looked to my roommate as this, like, what do I do? Like, should I stay? Should I go? And she kind of gave me this advice, but was also really there to be like, Teresa, like, it's okay. Um, I never told that experience to the people that were there. And I didn't, you know, just that I freaked out when I immediately saw this, like, alcohol but 
that that's sort of along the the lines of this like first year like memorable experience I know we have graduated you know began um working on careers I, I think it's just so interesting and so comforting right to reflect back and um, laugh our, at ourselves and to just know that college was difficult right for both of us for various reasons and you know starting anew both of us going to such a far place for college and especially like moving away from communities right that we're familiar with that we're able to find new communities be resilient and make it work right that being said i hope you all enjoyed um hearing Teresa and i's social life during our undergrad if you want to continue hearing more of our stories tune in every other friday to laugh cry and listen to our life in the making